welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the nerd party's show where we look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are going to be taking a look at the movies released on June 17th, 1994. Yes, June 17th, 1994, a week. Uh, I, how would we mark this in the timeline uh, post-speed? Yeah, people were still riding that speed wave, I think. Uh, it came in at number two at the box office, but only a little bit behind the number one movie this week. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of other movies which I think were still pretty big at this time, like Flintstones and stuff like that. So not a whole lot of extra movies coming out on June 17th, but a couple. Yeah. Yeah. A couple. So the first one of those, which came in at number five at the box office with $8.1 million and uh, received 3% positive reviews from Rotten Tomatoes, is Getting Even With Dad. Yes, Getting Even with Dad, starring Ted Danson and Macaulay Culkin in a uh, ribald tale of a son trying to uh, outwit his uh, ex-con father uh, to win over his affections and make him choose the straight and narrow path and be the dad that he always wanted him to be. Yeah, I mean, Macaulay Culkin really sort of had this thing going on, right? I mean whether it was little kid outsmarting criminals or little kid with an embarrassment of riches sort of thing or whatever, uh, being more adult than he actually was, that was just Macaulay Culkin's thing. It was, and I can tell you that um, by this point, it was starting to wear a little thin. You know, you can only go back to that well so many times, especially as, uh, you know, time doesn't slow for anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's obviously getting older, and so the the smarmy cute kid routine starts turning into a smarmy tween routine, and people don't find that as endearing, Mike. They really well, don't. You know, one out of thirty three critics still liked it. So, <laughs> I guess I'd love to meet that one critic yeah. because I did watch that this week, Mike. Did you? Did you by any chance watch it? No, I know you said it was available for free on Tubi. Yes, which uh, brings up an interesting technical note. Tubi, which is basically like watching movies the way it was in the days of broadcast television because you get commercial breaks, um, and it's free. So it's literally just like watching, you know, Channel 9 or whatever. Although they're not uncut, or they are uncut. So True. Yeah. True. That is different. They are not edited for time or content over the primetime airwaves. That is true. I kind of think they're not HD, though. No, this was definitely not HD. Yeah. Not a great loss, though. I can no. guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, and I had a very odd issue creep up. It was either the second or the third commercial break 
when it came back, the sound was a full two seconds out of sync with the picture. Hmm. It it was maddening, uh, absolutely maddening. I tried several times, close down, reboot, come back. Uh, instead of resuming, go back to beginning, take it out of the queue, drop it back in. Uh, and I did that for more time than I should have because I knew by the time this happened that I didn't like the movie. Yeah. But I'm nothing if not stubbornly persistent. And uh, so I watched the, I'd say, the last 20 minutes of the movie uh, with a gloriously out of sync uh, soundtrack, which was bizarre, but yeah. actually more enjoyable than the uh, previous part of the movie that I watched. Well, that's good. Um, so not a big fan. That would that would be a fair comment. It's really not a good movie. It's actually something where I was, I think, generous with it in my initial thing where I said, well, you know, maybe a kid would like this. And I thought about it a little more and I said, no, a kid wouldn't like this. And now as I keep thinking about it, I think nobody should like this. So your kids didn't watch it with you? No. No, they didn't. My kids are fickle, Mike. I just, I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't have kids, so I don't have any frame of reference, but I just find it to be amusing that you're like, I'm going to watch this movie, Getting Even with Dad, and your kids are like, I'm not going to watch that crap, you know? My kids, my kids are very (laughs) much about uh, uh, Nailed It, which is a baking show, or a cooking, yeah, baking show that you can uh, find on Netflix, which is actually, I will say, a delightful show, very Mm -hmm. funny. Um. Are you familiar with it? No, no. It's I. I recommend it. Give it. A, give it a show or two. It's funny. It's a cute show, and it's it's thirty minutes, so they do not belabor anything. Okay. Um, the premise is that it's three average people trying to recreate like masterpiece chef creations with pastries and cakes and stuff like that, and it's the end results are always funny. Okay. Um, That's cool. But that's what they like, or Carmen San Diego and stuff like that. No, and, I like um, Carmen San Diego. Yeah, it's, actually, the the reboot cartoons actually kind of interesting. Is it? Uh, yeah. yeah, it is. Kind of, kind of surprised. It's pretty complex show for a kids show. So, well, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So thumbs down for getting even with dad. Enthusiastically so. Okay. Well, the other movie that came out this week uh, did a little bit better at the box office and with the critics coming in at number one with $25.4 million and 60% on Rotten Tomatoes is Mike Nichols' Wolf, starring Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer, James Spader, some other people. David Schwimmer yeah. shows up for a couple seconds because yes. why not? He does. You know, uh, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Yes, he's mm-hmm. in it. General mm-hmm. Chang. Uh, Richard Jenkins is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy who was in Battlestar Galactica and Caprica, but not as the same person. Um, some other people. Yeah. yeah. So I watched this and I know you did too. Right? I did. I sure did. This is a movie which I always wanted to see because I remember when it came out and I remember even though I didn't know much about movies thinking like Jack Nicholson like he's, you know, a legit actor and yeah, I mean he was Joker and stuff but like what's he doing in this weird horror movie where he turns into a werewolf like 
that's strange. And, you know, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, that's one of those movies, you know, and I wasn't going to watch it back then anyway, but like it just seemed weird, like, oh, it's one of those adult drama things that adults watch, you know. And then as I got older and, you know, I saw The Graduate and, you know, all the rest of it, all the, the, the great Mike Nichols movies and TV shows like Angels in America and stuff like that, you sort of naturally say like, well, this guy is a legend. This guy has made, you know, legit masterpiece after legit masterpiece what else has he done? And you look at his IMDb credits and there's Wolf. And you're like, Wolf? Like mm-hmm. the one where Jack Nicholson like turns into a werewolf? He did that? Mm-hmm. Well, now I got to see that. You know, I'll I'll watch that sooner or later. And that day finally came today. And uh yeah, what did you think about it? Well, I uh, I actually did see Wolf in the movie theater. Oh, so you were uh, one of those adults. Out. I <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, please, I was sne- I was sneaking into R-rated stuff since I was I think the first R-rated movie I snuck into was Pets. No, Die Hard. That was Die the first Hard? one I snuck. Yeah. Uh, well, was well, I snuck uh, but but see here's the thing, right? And we'll get back to sneaking into R-rated movies in a second, but like mm-hmm. I didn't even mean that. I didn't mean like, oh, that's a movie like that way too mature for me i meant like that's a movie which you know because like 94 like i'm way into star Mm. trek and comics and everything and i'm like that's a movie that would appeal to adults like that's one of those movies that adults go to see that i have no interest in you know like three colors white or or whatever And it, like it must be because it's got Jack Nicholson in it, and who else would watch this? I'm into all this weird sci-fi stuff, and I couldn't care less. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like it being just like for mature audiences, that was like sort of a different thing entirely. And um, yeah, I was all for that at this point. Well, no, I wasn't quite yet, but I was getting there. I was getting there. I think the first, so so Die Hard was the first for you. So you would have been like 14, 15 at that point? No, no. Uh, You're putting a a couple extra years on me. I was going, uh, yeah, okay. I was 12 going on 13, I think. It was July of 88, I want to say. But yeah, well, yes, but I didn't see it till August. Um, But I, you know, that's the first one I snuck into that I can remember, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that it's not the first R-rated movie that I saw because that goes all the way back to the Blues Brothers, which we rented on videotape when I was a wee lad. And then, of course, uh, I saw DC Cab on videotape, shouldn't have, um, and Terminator and stuff like that. I, I so, was way too young to be watching those movies. So what was... okay? You said you snuck in to see Die Hard. Did you like go up and buy a ticket for it, or did you have to buy a ticket for something else? Ah, we bought a ticket for something else. What was it? Um, I forget. I want to say it was it was like clean and sober, but that wasn't out at the time. That must have been uh, R-rated too, right? Yeah. No. So I think it was possibly Dream Team, mm-hmm. okay. which was uh, okay. Michael Keaton yeah. comedy. I yes. think that's the one. But Dream Team, like... Clean and Sober was his claim to I can do serious stuff and then Dream Team was like a, a reversion to form for comedic actor and then Batman happens. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, no, Die Hard was, well, 
what was the first movie you, you snuck into that was R-rated? Uh, to Die For. Um, okay. Which, yeah, when I was 15, I uh, just saw Batman Forever, you know, and <laughs> discovered Nicole Kidman and was like, oh, my God. And then okay. you see the, tr- the trailers for To Die For, and you're like, oh, my God, like, I have to see this, but it's rated R, and I'm 15. And I had a friend, my friend Matt, my best friend Matt was 16, but he looked older. So we had this plan, which now as someone who has, you know, carded my fair share of kids at movie theaters, I cannot believe that this worked. But our big plan was for him to go and buy two tickets while I waited down the street. And then we would both walk in. And it worked. Yeah. I don't know how, because like the policy is like you have to be 21 or older to buy more than one ticket so that people don't do that thing. But regardless, it worked. And I and we saw Die Hard and it was amazing. And uh, yeah, it blew my mind. It was the first Gus Van Sant movie I ever saw. We were just talking about that, right? And then, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was fantastic. And, and, and then years later, like I had... I worked at that movie theater and I had a To Die For poster, which I hung up right next to the projector that I saw this movie uh, on. And then there was a commercial which was being shot at the theater, which was photographed by the guy who photographed To Die For. And he, he actually came up to the booth and he didn't understand how projector shutters worked. And and I got to explain to him how projector shutters worked. And I really wanted to say, like, can you sign my poster? But I thought that would be, like, unprofessional. But I should Oh, man. Yeah, I you missed an opportunity there. I don't know. He was a really cool guy. He was, he was really cool. And, and here's another fun fact. You know who directed that commercial? Keep in mind, this is, like, 15 years ago. Patty Jenkins. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So that was cool. Uh, she's, she's going on to have a pretty good career. Yeah. I was like, one day she's going to direct Wonder Woman. I know it. And then she <laughs> did. <laughs> but what, whatever. Okay. So, so, so that, was, that, was, that was the R-rated thing. But you said you saw Terminator when you were, when you were little? Oh, yes. Well, I, I think I've said before, my brother worked at a... No, that wasn't when my brother worked at a video store. That was when my brother had... Uh, video rental card so he would go and he would rent something that he knew my parents wouldn't approve of and he'd bring it home and if he doesn't want somebody to rat you know (laughs) you got you got to bribe somebody to keep their mouth shut mike and uh, actually i remember uh dc cab uh, because there's um there's some nudity in it Mm. He made me, uh, he was like, yeah, here's a blanket. Put it over your head so that you can't see. Well, I mean, it was oh, just yeah. not a very effective. He could claim that he had taken all steps necessary. Oh, yeah. He didn't, yeah, for you know. sure. Yeah. So, so, so how old were you when you saw Terminator? Oh, geez. Uh, I want to say, what, what year did it come out? 84? Yeah. So you build in the videotape lag time that was there. So I probably would have seen it when I was about 11, I guess. Okay. Something like that. That was that was about the same age that I I saw it. I, I was that was one of the first R-rated movies that I saw too because Terminator Two was coming out and everything like that. Everyone was T two crazy, and uh, I went to my friend's house for his birthday party, and 
uh, like a sleepover thing, and he rented some movies, and one of them was the original Terminator, and I, I had never seen like the the only R rated movies that I saw before that were like Major League and Stand by Me, and Stand by Me was literally like the night before because that was one of the other movies that he rented. Yeah. So when Terminator comes on, uh, you know, and and Arnold like punches the guy and his fist goes through uh-huh. the dude i was just yeah. like oh my god this is t- i need to go home i need to go home you know <laughs> uh, it, it terrified me that it was not quite as traumatic as seeing the beginning of robocop when i was seven years old but it, it, was, it was close it was really close you know it's it's funny i was older when i encountered robocop but that is also a movie where i made it to you know the scene where peter weller's getting shot up uh-huh. and it was it was a tough moment to work past like i was ready to tap out but once again my brother was in the room so i was like fine i'm gonna keep watching but oh my gosh what's happening that's bad but not nearly as bad as when the guy gets shot up in the conference room because you know as as a seven-year-old who doesn't understand the finer points of satire you know when when they shoot him up like that's bad right but the fact that everybody's reaction is just like, you got to work out the glitches, you know, and not mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, they just shot Larry, you know, like they didn't yeah. care about that. Like, that's what really impacted me. Like, how could people be so cruel as to not even have any empathy for this person who just got murdered in a conference room? You know, what's really weird is I have never seen the movie Scanners, Um but I have seen the one scene where Michael Ironside makes the other guy's head explode. Uh-huh. And the, my whole thing is I was unable to commit to watching the rest of the movie because I too am bothered because Michael Ironside, have you ever seen scanners? No, but I think I've seen this scene. If I'm not yeah. Mistaken. It's a very deliberate things, very cruel, very sociopathic thing to do. And the guy's like sitting there suffering before his head blows up. That for some reason just stuck with me, and I can't. I anything where somebody is intentionally vile like that, like really gets under my skin, like really, really bad. Especially if they show the suffering, which is like, I don't know if it's that tied to um, like the horror movies I watched growing up or not. Because like I've since revisited those horror movies and said, you know, what was I scared of? This looks like. This looks like garbage. It doesn't even look convincing. But like when I was a kid, it was hyper realistic to my eyes. And so, you know, it just created this thing. And horror movie, like the Friday the 13th movies were always about showing people suffering while they were being killed. Yeah. And uh, I think that probably was a residual effect on that. Yeah. That's how my mom is, you know, like any sort of like torture. She just can't handle like. The one which I, I'm always just like, this is so super random. But like the thing which like sticks in her memory, which she cannot get out, is Cold Mountain. Have you seen Are you it? kidding? Yes. My wife, she was my wife to be at the time, dragged me to that movie. Yeah. And I still have not really let that every so often. Every so often, you made me see Cold Mountain. You know, it's uh, it's it's yeah. pretty good. It's it's mm. not a bad movie. Yes, it is. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you my, know, I think I've my, seen that movie three times, which is weird. My memory of it is I barely made it through once. Like I was, I I was just about ready to uh, 
to uh, sneak out of the theater and just wait for her in the lobby, but I couldn't. Well, there's this documentary called The Cutting Edge, which is about editing, and um, you can find it on the Bullet Blu-ray, uh, but there's also like a standalone disc and stuff like that. But uh, in it, they talk to Walter Murch, and he's very Walter Murch-like throughout it. And uh, yeah. you actually get to see him edit one of the scenes from Cold Mountain, and he kind of like takes you through the process and stuff. And it's it's kind of interesting. So it's more interesting than Cold Mountain, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure that it, I have not seen Cold Mountain since, but uh, my memory of it is is nothing. But what what's the scene that stuck with your mom? Well, I, like um, there's like a, a mom or something like that, and they're like trying to get information about where her kids are, or maybe it's the reverse, and they're like either torturing her son or the son is watching the mom being tortured and then eventually they die, whichever one it is, you know, it's something along those lines. She just can't handle it, which is weird because like, she's like, Oh my God, that scene. But like she read the book before seeing the movie and stuff. So, I mean like whatever, it down, it's my mom. It's weird. She's no, I mean, (laughs) no, the thing is, the thing is I very much have a theory that, reading a book like it can really you know it really affects you but the thing is since you're the participant envisioning the thing that's being described to you your brain will have a natural cutoff point mm-hmm. like you know how far you can go with it whereas a movie is forcing you to go to somebody else's uh you know point of or beyond somebody else's uh you know limits that yeah. they have on that sort of thing well, that makes sense yeah anyway None of this really has anything to do with Wolf. Not really. Um, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, what, what did you what did you think about Wolf? Uh, back when I first saw it, it was very underwhelming. Um, I thought it was a really interesting premise, and I thought that uh, you know there there were some interesting threads, but at the end, it was just. It, you know, I, I had the same reaction this time, which is it's got an interesting premise and it gets going, but I think that the two things that kill it are pacing and um, the the ending is just just doesn't work uh, particularly well. Um, I think it's sort of a case, you know, because you mentioned that it was directed by Mike Nichols. It's sort of like seeing uh, that Robin Williams movie, uh, Toys. And you can't help but think while you're watching it, this is a really interesting premise and it's got some interesting themes and ideas here, but this is not the right director for this movie. And that's how I feel about Wolf, is I, I just think that it doesn't... It it gels early and then it just sort of plateaus and then coasts for a while and then the ending is just not satisfying at all. What did you think of it? Yeah, I'd say I had almost the exact same reaction that you did. Um, you know, I, I, I was really into it at first, you know, and uh, the premise seemed cool. I, I liked kind of the, in this case, cheesy Rick Baker effects with like the wolf and stuff like that. The cast yeah. was great. <laughs> the puppet wolf was yeah. pretty something else, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, and actually that was kind of funny because like I had just watched Men in Black 1 and 2 and, you know, Rick Baker did the effects on that. And the production designer was Bo Welch, who 
you know, he's, he worked, like, I think he did Batman Returns and he did a lot of stuff like that. And then he was uh, Barry Sonnenfeld's production designer doing things like Adam's Family and Men in Black. And then he would later go on to direct his own stuff, including The Cat in the Hat. I think that was maybe his only movie. But Oh, no. Yeah, I think he went oh. back to production design after that one, if I'm not mistaken. But regardless, um, you know, production design on Men in Black by Bo Welch and makeup by Rick Baker. And I just watched those two movies yesterday. And then I, I start this one up and production design by Bo Welch and makeup effects by Rick Baker. I'm like, hey, you know, boy, these guys, they work together all the time. So, um, yeah, not as good as Men in Black, I would say. Uh, but it was weird because at first I'm like, well, I like this. I like the idea of someone like Mike Nichols doing you know, kind of like a horror, you know, fantasy horror type of thing. That's cool, you know, because he's bringing that Mike Nichols quality to it. But then, you know, you you, you keep on watching and then you're like, uh, what's going on here? Like the, the first time you see, <laughs> quote unquote, Jack Nicholson, you know, running through the park or whatever, it's yeah. just like, oh, my God. And then, you know, you, you look at like uh, some of that stuff at the end, you know, that that finale, like you're saying, was really bad, but also like really poorly made. And you think like, how did this happen? Because you would assume, I mean, like like you're saying like, okay, he might not be the right director for the job. And like that was sort of the philosophy back then, like – X-Men, when X-Men came out and it was directed by Brian Singer, there were a lot of people who were like, that's weird because he's not that type of director. Like, how does he get to direct an action movie? How does he get to direct a superhero movie? Now, that's standard operating procedure and everyone's like, this is amazing, you know? It just makes yeah. sense because a movie is a movie and obviously there's help and everything like that. And, you know, it wasn't, I mean, there was that, like, I think Brian Singer was really the first, but then you had like Doug Lyman directing Born Identity and stuff like that. And now everyone knows like that's how it's done. Christopher Nolan can make Memento and you say like, oh, well, he's directing Batman and you're like, awesome. There's not like just action directors. You don't need to be Michael yeah. Bay in order to make an action movie. And yet here, this movie kind of makes the case that you do. And I wonder why that is. Why uh, is it that Mike Nichols doesn't know how to direct action? That That is, that is exactly the thing. I think it's because um, by this point, Nichols is so established. You know, it, it's the whole thing of he's had so much momentum behind his style that he's trying to change which is admirable you you know great spread your wings sort of thing that absolutely but there is a learning curve in terms of how action works and he i think makes some cardinal errors uh one with a gratuitous use of slow motion to try to fake out uh power and 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 menace and stuff like that yep um there are some really weird choices with when he when jack nicholson confronts the thugs in central park the way that whole thing is shot and edited together is so obviously to get around 
the idea of showing Jack Nicholson attack these people. Yeah. And even to the point of, you know, when he turns into the wolf, turning the camera and showing the shadow where you could say, okay, well, that's a kind of cool artistic thing. But then when he actually leaps at the guys, um, it's just, you know, some, you know, quick zoom ins on his face and it's all grainy and then hearing screaming and it, it really has sort of a, a B movie quality that doesn't match up with the A movie qualities of the more dramatic parts. To yeah. It. Um, and it, just that, that ending I think was reshot if I remember correctly. Um, and I, I think also there are certain, certain problems with the lighting on some of the outdoor stuff. Um, if it's truly outdoor, um, and I think that the one the one interesting tidbit about it was that he had his editor on set with him, hmm. like next to him while he was shooting so that he could give him notes about editing things together that he was shooting at the time. So I think that's an interesting note. It is. I mean, it, it, because it, it makes it seem like... I don't know. In some ways, it was more well thought out than than it was. I don't know. I'm 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 just looking at the thing right here. The movie's release was delayed for six to eight months to reshoot the entire third act. So that's good. Nowadays, we we all vacillate between the two poles of oh well, they're reshooting things. Well, you know, it's a big production. That's naturally going to happen. You have to do stuff like that. Or if you hear about an extensive third act reworking, like in Rogue One, you know, people are ready to just set it on fire and say, oh, it's terrible. It's going to suck. Everything's awful. Like, you know, we vacillate between this. And I wonder, I have a feeling that Wolf would have been one of those ones where Mike Nichols's reputation and the regard that people had would have protected this movie from it. But I would love to see this type of thing happen in the modern day to see how people would react to this story of reshoots on the ending. Yeah. Yeah. One interesting note, I guess, Ennio Morricone wrote the music. Yes. So that's cool. Oh, it says yeah. right here. I'm sorry. I was just flipping through. John Williams was originally attached to compose the music, but he left when the film was delayed because he needed some time off after winning for Schindler's List and he'd been working on Jurassic Park. So there you go. So, but the music is good. I like the music. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Morricone Mark, or Morricone? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I was assuming it was Morricone, but I could be wrong. Uh, he's a terrific composer. I actually I actually think that the music is probably the best part of the film. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. So, not a big fan of Wolf? No. I uh, mm. I don't think I'll ever watch this again. Yeah, I didn't like it either. So, but better than getting even with Dad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So not not a very good week for for movies, but hey, you can go back and watch Speed from last week if you really want to, or you can wait until next week where we've got two movies on mm-hmm. June twenty fourth, uh, including Wyatt Earp mm-hmm. and The Lion King. Oh, oh, I've heard of that one. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Exciting yeah. week next week. But that one's not directed by John Favreau, right? No, it's not. No. No. Okay. So yeah. John, 
Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, I go by the name Kessel Junkie online. You can find me at KesselJunkie.com or Kessel Junkie over on uh, Goodreads and Letterboxd. And you can find me here on the network co-hosting a Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And those are the places where you can find me. And uh, Mike, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on filmdamagepod.com doing a show called Film Damage. And you can find me on Trek.fm in the near future doing another show in the near future. Are we future. allowed to release a title yet? No. Oh, come on, man. Sorry. It's not, not my call. Come on. Not my call. Come on. So, until next week, be kind, rewind. Rewind.